The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. morning. Welcome again to Sacred City Church. My name is Justin, and I am the lead pastor here. At Sacred City. If you're just joining us today, we are four weeks into a sermon series on Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be studying this sermon for the next seven months, hoping that God would make us into a church that is full of this type of people, a people that represent his kingdom as his ambassadors as his kingdom people in the world, so that those outside the kingdom can see who God is and what he's like and want to come and be a part of his kingdom. Right now, we are still in the introduction. We're looking, and the introduction is what's been called the Beatitudes of Jesus. And what we're doing is week in and week out here over the next few weeks, we're focusing on one beatitude each week and kind of drilling down into it to help us understand it. Because most of us, if we've read the Sermon on the Mount, we've probably rushed through the beatitudes and we were like, don't understand it, don't understand it, don't understand it, but I'll just nod and just keep moving, right? I've met many people that, I thank you, I had no idea what it meant to be poor in spirit. I thought that had something to do with finances, But I pushed past that real quick because I didn't want to be poor, right? Or blessed are the mourn. I just ignore that because I don't really like mourning. And this week, I think we've got an even greater problem because most of us probably don't have any idea what it means to be meek. So before we jump into it, each week I'm going to have to say something by way of introduction because it's so easy to forget that when we're reading these Beatitudes, that the Beatitudes are not prerequisites for getting into the kingdom of God. They are not some kind of moral entrance exam of sorts, as if we have to make ourselves poor in spirit enough to be accepted by God, or there's a certain threshold of mourning that we must meet in order to earn our way into the kingdom of God. No, these Beatitudes are not an entrance exam They are fruit of the Spirit and proof and evidence. They're fingerprints of God in our life. So they're evidence that he's at work in our life. They're fruit of the Spirit. Where God has been, you should go behind and and see some works of his as evident in a person's soul. That's what the Beatitudes are. When God saves us and changes us, He comes into us by his spirit and begins to remodel our hearts and souls into this type of person. But the spirit does not work on us all by himself without our effort. In other words, the way of Jesus is not a conveyor belt 
that just carries you along lifelessly as the Spirit makes you into a more Jesus-y person. No, we are called to be a disciple of Jesus. We're called to learn from Jesus, and that takes focused and purposeful effort. We are called to examine our life and our doctrine closely. We are called to, quote, put on godly attributes and put away ungodly ones. Now, the Spirit helps us in all of this, but we must still strive as a disciple of Jesus. Now, the late Christian philosopher Dallas Willard has said this, quote, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. He said, grace, you know, does not just have to do with the forgiveness of sins alone. Now, there is one of our greatest problems. We touched on a little bit last week. Too many churches and too many Christians in our country have been preaching and believing a truncated gospel that says, come to Jesus to have your sins forgiven and go to heaven when you die, but doesn't require a life of discipleship to Jesus. And that, my friends, is a false gospel. If you are a Christian, you must be a disciple of Jesus. What does that mean? It means you must be engaged in the act of following Jesus. You must be practicing the way of Jesus. Well, you might ask, what is the way of Jesus? Well, that is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. That's what this sermon series is all about. For one thing, one thing that Jesus shows us as you read the Gospels and you read how he did ministry he was about making disciples. That was the ministry of Jesus. He was about making disciples. And how did Jesus do that? Jesus made disciples in community and on mission. So that shows us, first thing, you can't be a disciple on your own. You can't be a disciple locked away in your bedroom somewhere or in your living room watching YouTube videos or just even reading the Bible. To be a disciple of Jesus, you must be actively following his way, which is the way that works inside of a community and on the mission of Jesus to make disciples who make disciples. That's why we believe missional community to be so important for us at Sacred City. That we exist to make disciples in community and on mission with Jesus. That's what Christians do because that's what Jesus did. Look how Jesus made disciples. He didn't just put a tent up and have a Sunday morning service. He lived in community with his disciples. In his discipleship community, it was purposefully transformational. That means it had, Jesus started with a big ask. Drop everything and follow me. Put aside all your presuppositions, all of your philosophical ways of looking at the world and come and embrace my worldview and be my disciple. Take my yoke upon you and follow me. It was costly for them. It demanded much. The way of Jesus was never easy, but it was good. 
The way of Jesus was radically countercultural in his day, and the same holds true today in our day. But it is the way to the good life, life inside the king or the kingdom with a good, right, and gracious king, that of Jesus. And so if you want to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to practice the way of Jesus and step into the uncomfortable life of discipleship in community and on mission with other Christians. Now here's something we should think about. All, just like you can't really practice baseball unless you've got other people practicing baseball with you, right? You can't really practice a sport if, you've got other peop- if you don't have other people with you. You can't really practice the way of Jesus without some kind of community to practice them in. And so all of these beatitudes are meant to be learned, practiced, and worked out in a missional community setting. So if you haven't joined an MC, we invite you to do so right away. So that's, I have to say that by way of introduction. Let me go ahead and pray for us this morning and we'll get into the beatitude that we're studying this morning. And it's in Matthew chapter five, verse five. Let me pray. Father, first thing we do is thank you for this beautiful weather. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together and do what we were created to do, and that's worship your name together, that we get to sing with one voice. And so I thank you for the beauty of what we get to do this morning. We get to express worship to the God who created us. We get to glorify you and enjoy you forever. I thank you, God, for all the gifts of grace that you've given us, knowing that we, can't, we wouldn't even be here this morning, if you hadn't preserved us this week and you haven't drew us here by your spirit, and so we thank you for the million ways that you've given us common grace and special grace to get us here, to change our hearts, to change our minds, to open our souls up to you. And so we just welcome you and we thank you for the work you've already done. And now also, Father, we ask you to do more work this morning. There are people here that don't know you. I pray that you would introduce yourself to them this morning, that they would come to know you. There are people here that we don't look like you, Jesus. We don't act like you. The Beatitudes don't reflect uh, the way that we live our life, and maybe we don't even value your Beatitudes. Would you change us from the inside out? Would you change our thinking and change our hearts so that we would come to value what you value? Would this church look more like the kingdom of God during this gathering and after this gathering than we did before. And Father, would you think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords, that it be all of you and none of me, would you speak a better word, a word of grace to your people this morning? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, chapter five, verse five, Jesus says this, blessed or flourishing or happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, we have a lot to do this morning because I doubt that very many of us really know what it means to be meek. It is not a word that gets used very often in our day today. And of course, it unfortunately, in the English, it rhymes with weak. So many of us think that meekness is just a synonym for weakness. Meekness and weakness. Well, it's not, okay? And in fact, 
Weakness and meekness are actually complete opposites. Meekness is not weakness. Kids, please write that down this morning. Meekness is not weakness. The Greek word for meek in the New Testament is praus. And the Greek philosophers of Jesus' day used this word, it was common vernacular for them, to describe, here it is, the breaking of wild animals. When you break a horse, for instance, you do not weaken the horse's strength in any way. You do not lessen the horse's ability in any way. When you break a horse, the horse submits their will to the rider, right? You break the will of the horse so that the horse now offers up their inherent strength, their inherent gifts, their inherent abilities to the rider. The horse, once broken, is no longer, no longer driven by its own will. It rather comes under the submission to the rider. So you can put a 60-pound child on a broken horse and all the horsepower inherent in the horse is now under the submission to the child, and so the child gets all the benefits of the horse's power, right? So, to be a meek person is not to somehow become weak and powerless. To be a meek person is not to walk around like a mopey loser all the time. Here's another thing. To be meek is not, to, is not a personality trait. All you nines, you don't get to look, oh yeah, I got this one. I was born meek. No, you weren't. As some of my nine friends reminded me this week, oh, I look meek on the outside, but inside I'm anything but meek. I rage against things on the inside, right? No, to be weak is not a virtue. To be a weak person that just goes along with the flow and you just lick your finger and put up the cultural winds and wherever the winds blow, that's where you go with your thinking and feeling and philosophy of life. No, that's not what it means to be meek. To be weak is not a virtue. To be weak-minded or weak-willed or weak spiritually or even weak emotionally or even physically weak, being physically weak is not a virtue. Jesus is not saying, blessed are the wimps and wusses here, okay? Congratulations, you can't protect your family. No, it's not what he's saying. Now, before I get into the biblical examples of this, which is where we have to go, I wanted to think of, could I think of a cultural example? Could I think of an example that we would see from our culture of what it means to be meek? And it just so happens with all the rain this week, I couldn't get out and ride my bike and do what I normally do. So, you know, like most of you, I watched more Netflix, okay? And I got into a show called Cobra Kai. And Cobra Kai, first off, was an answered prayer to me. I didn't realize it, but Karate Kid should never have quit, okay? And so I, 
I was reliving a piece of my childhood. If you've watched Karate Kid, this is like picks up 30 years later with the original actors. It's great. But I started thinking about meekness while I'm watching Cobra Kai. And of course, I think of the cultural epitome of meekness is Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> right, right? Was Mr. Miyagi weak? Heck to the no, right? But he looked kind of weak and he kind of took on, weakness in a sense was strength under control. He, was, he wasn't driven by his emotions. He wasn't driven by his desires. And he, he's a perfect example of what the Greeks thought of when they thought of meekness. Mr. Miyagi, that's the epitome of Greek philosophy here and meekness. Why? Because his emotions, his desires, his strength came under submission for him of his reason. His reason was the horse or the rider. His reason was the rider that controlled the power of the horse, his emotions, his desires, his karate, right? So he never attacked first, but if you attacked him, lights out, baby, right? Lights out. So that's the cultural example. Jesus here is not saying blessed are the weak. He says blessed are the meek. Blessed, and here, here it is, for the Christian, we're not just submitting our emotions and our desires to our reason. We're submitting our emotions, our desires, our, our will, and our strength to God. Blessed are the ones who have had their wills broken by Jesus. No longer are they running their lives by their own emotions and desires. They have been mastered by the master. They were like wild horses, but now they've been broken by Jesus and Jesus is their rider who directs them in the way that they should go. I have, one of my favorite books is by an old Puritan called Matthew Henry, he wrote a book called A Discourse on Meekness and Quietness of Spirit. And he defines this, he defines meekness this way. Meek, it's called, he calls it meekness towards God. Here it is. And it is the easy and quiet submission of the soul to his whole will according as he is pleased to make it known whether by his word or by his providence. Here it is. It's the easy submission and the quietness of the soul to God's revealed will in scripture or to providence. So that's step one to biblical meekness. Surrendering your will to God's. If you kick and buck against God's commands in scripture, then you aren't meek. If you kick and buck against God's providence in your life, what is providence? It's interesting. In the 
Greek philosophy of Jesus' day, he's, again, he's interacting with these worldviews. There was the, the camp of the Epicureans, and the Epicureans believed that the world was governed by chance. But then against them, there were the Stoics, and the Stoics believed the world is governed by fate. I think we still have these worldviews today. Scientific naturalism says everything is determined by, by chance. You've got other people that just believe in fate. It is what it is. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. But Jesus comes against that and he teaches that he is the king of the universe directing everything that is, was, has been, or will be by the nature of his own will. Read Ephesians chapter one. He's governing all things. He's predestining all things. He's intimately connected with the outcome of all things and he's leading all things towards their end in the new heavens, the new earth. So the providence of God means that everything that happens in your life is God's will for you. Does it mean, I'm not gonna go into it all in the details here. It means it's God's will. But how many of us, we lose a job, we experience persecution, we experience difficulty, we experience frustration, and we kick and buck against the providence of God. We have the audacity to shake our fist. We have the audacity to walk away. We have the audacity to say, you're not good. If I was in charge of my life, I would have done it different. What are we doing there? Whatever it is, it's the opposite of meekness. We are like a wild horse trying to throw off the cowboy who is breaking us. We know God's word teaches us to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers and yet we still, to th we still think that we can find the good life and we can find a good spouse by dating people who aren't Christians or bucking against the will of God. To be a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus means we let Jesus Tell us how to think about things. We let Jesus tell us how to live our life. Why? Because he's the author and the finisher of our life. He knows what we were created for. He knows where we're headed. He knows better than we do. And as we give the reins of our life over to Jesus, we come to see it even though we didn't see it before, we come to see that the way of Jesus is the way things are supposed to be. The way of Jesus is the way to flourish as a human being. James, the brother of Jesus, he says this to us, quote, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and listen, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What is the word that saves our souls? It's the word of the gospel. And he says this, receive it with meekness. Did you know that 
the scriptures themselves tell us that Moses was the meekest man on the earth at the time. And that's pretty fascinating if you know anything about Moses, because obviously Moses was a murderer who took things into his own hands. And yet scripture says he was the meekest man. And all the, now, why was he meek? How can a, mur, a guy who takes things into his own hands and attacks the Egyptian and, and kills a man, how could that man be meek? Well, simply by this. When God spoke to him, he didn't buck against God's command. Even though it was counterintuitive and sounded completely crazy, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Listen, nobody tells Pharaoh anything, especially when it comes, you know, oh, go tell Pharaoh to give up power and to give up his ability to get great wealth. Go, go tell Mer Pharaoh to give up all of his slaves. Yeah, right. Good luck with that. But Moses obeyed. Mosey, Moses, Mosey, Moses did what sounded crazy at the time, what went countercultural. He went and he spoke truth to the powers of his day, and he said, God says, let my people go. So we see the meek person. Here's what it means to be meek. The meek person isn't ruled by their own will, their own thoughts, their own feelings. Rather, they submit their souls, mind, will, and emotions to the Holy Spirit. They offer up their souls to the Holy Spirit. They say, come Holy Spirit and tame me. Come Holy Spirit and break me. Come Holy Spirit and submit all of my resources, all of my abilities, all of my power, all of my natural talents towards your will. So we have to see that the meek person is not a weak person. The meek person is not just a peaceful person by personality. In fact, we could say, does the weak person get, or does, does the meek person get angry? Absolutely, the meek person gets angry. They're commanded to get angry about injustice. We're commanded to be angry and do not sin. We're commanded to walk that line that things of injustice, things of brokenness should make us angry enough to motivate us to speak up and motivate us to act. But that anger must be under the control of the Holy Spirit. We can't just blow up or call people names or get violent. Our anger should be just and constructive, just like Jesus' anger was when he came in for the sake of the poor and he flipped the tables and he, he really just flipped the injustice that was pra being practiced in the temple of God. He overturned the tables and he confronted the religious leaders his day. So hope that's what it means to be weak or to be meek. Goodness gracious. That's what it means to be meek, to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Okay. To have our emotions and our thoughts and our wills under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the first question. How do you become meek? First, Christian meekness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
That means it is first received, not achieved. So the first thing we must do is we must receive meekness from God through the gospel. James said, receive with meekness the implanted word. So receive the gospel. Now, how do I do that? Well, anytime you're looking to receive something, you should look to Jesus. You should go to the source of our faith. Here's what Jesus did. Though he was one with God, that means Jesus had all the resources of God at his disposal. He had all power and all authority and all wisdom. He said that at any time he could call 10,000 angels to do his bidding. In the Old Testament, one angel killed 27,000 enemy troops, okay? And Jesus could call 10,000 at any time. But what did Jesus do? How did Jesus live? Think about this. Jesus submitted all of his power and all of his strength to the will of the Father and went to the cross on our behalf. At the cross of Jesus, you see meekness personified. Strength under control. Strength, power, authority submitted to the will of God. Submitted to the providence of God. What does Jesus say in the Garden of Gethsemane? Right? If it be any other way, take this cup from me. He was mourning. He was grieving. But he said, not my will, your will be done. Now, this is interesting here. Did you know in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, Jesus is not just creating these things willy-nilly. He isn't just going like, okay, I'm starting a new church. What's gonna, what are values going to be? starting a new organization. I need some things to put on the wall. Let's come up with some core values, guys. It's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus, in fact, is quoting directly from the Old Testament. And usually when a New Testament writer quotes from the Old Testament, they're quoting something and they mean, the, the, the original hearers would already know the context of the psalm because they had them memorized. They would already understand the bigger context of the psalm, what's going on in the psalm. He wasn't just saying this one thing is true. He's implying the entire context. And today, in verse 5, Jesus is quoting from Psalm 37. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Psalm 37. <clears throat> and Psalm 37 juxtaposes the wicked and the evildoer and the meek. And lowly. He says, let's look at verse 8, or let's, yeah, let's look at verse 9. I'm not going to read the whole thing because we don't have time, and I know our kids, it's, it's tough to keep our kids um, focused for this long, so let me just read it. Look at verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off from God, but those who wait for the Lord, look, shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But here it is, look. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Jesus here is quoting 
from Psalm 37 where the psalmist is just juxtaposing the wicked and the meek and he says the wicked or the evildoer will be cut off but the meek will inherit the earth or inherit the land. Well, guess what? Jesus spoke that, Jesus affirmed that reality, but that was not the experience of Jesus, was it? No. Jesus took our place. Jesus took the place of the evildoer. So Jesus was cut off as the evildoer from the Father because he became sin for us. Jesus was cut off and crucified. Why? So that we, the evildoers, could be brought in and given an inheritance so that we could be made meek and we could be given salvation and the new heavens and the new earth. That's what it means that we will inherit the earth, that we will inherit the land. Isaiah 29, 19 says, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. So how do I receive meekness? Step one is to believe the gospel. Look at Jesus and how Jesus gave up all of his rights so that you could be brought into his kingdom that Jesus took the place of evildoers and was pushed out and cut off so that us, the people that aren't meek and just shake our fist and want our will and want our way could be brought in and made meek through the power of the gospel. But here it is, listen. Step two is growing in meekness. And that takes effort on your part. Not earning. Not earning our way in through our meekness but it takes our work, our cooperation with the Holy Spirit in order to become more of a meek person. We've got to bring the gospel truth into the issues of our life that tempt us to buck against the Lord's word or the providence. I had a friend this week as I was coaching church planters, I had a friend who I was joking with him earlier in the year and as I was telling him about the surprise uh, that my wife is pregnant and we've got our fifth child on the way and it wasn't really in our plans, but um, I've been trying to win this argument for a couple years and the Lord's providence is I win. Uh, we get another one. And I was telling him he needed to have another child. He needed to have another one. He's like, no way, man. We're in a good season. We're done. We're over that. We're past that. We sold the strollers and all the high chairs and we strolled all that. We're in a, we sold it. We're in a good season. And then I get on our coaching call this week and it looks like somebody kicked his dog. And I said, what, what's the matter, bro? What's going on? My wife's pregnant. I go, yeah! I'm all pumped. And he's like, no, man, it's not like that. I'm like, oh. And what, the Lord says a chi that children are a blessing from the Lord. The Lord says the man is blessed whose quiver is full of them. And your emotions are not, are not acting like the Lord is good and gives good gifts of children. You're right, they're not. That's a lack of meekness. Blessed are the meek, brother. You better get your emotions in line. Give me, give me some time. I'm like, I'll give you some time. What, but the Lord needs to grab the reins of your heart and go, you're out of step with me, brother. Oh, you were embracing the cultural norms of now I'm free of children and I can go on easy vacations and I can finally buy a Harley now, right? Because I don't have little babies at home that, you know, need me and stuff. I can finally do what I want to do. 
or then the great, the, you know, no, no, I'm not going to be re- able to retire for 18 more years. Congratulations, you've pushed off boredom another 20 years. That's a great reality, actually. It's a good step, right? Because we embrace cultural values and cultural norms rather than Christian or biblical norms, our heart gets out of step with the gospel. Our heart gets out of line. And we need to invite the Holy Spirit to grab the reins once again and move us where he wants us to go. Paul says it like this in Colossians chapter three. We just studied this verse. Put on then, put on something to do as God's chosen ones. That's the work God's already done. He's already made us holy and beloved. But we're to put on compassionate hearts. That means when you wake up in the morning, you might not be driven by compassion. Possibly you could be driven by selfishness. Maybe, I'm just saying. It's an option, possibly, right? Put on compassion. Put on humility. Who wakes up humble? Liar? Nobody does, right? Who, who wakes up meek? Nobody does. You have your day set. You know how you want it to go. You know exactly when you want the kids to wake up. You want an hour to yourself, and then the kids wake up. The kids don't wake up. Your meekness is challenged, right? Because your will, your plan for the day is being confronted with the sovereignty and providence of God. He tells us to put on meekness. Christian, we should see meekness as something God has done in us and created us and given us, but it's a plant that needs to flourish. It's a plant that needs watered and nurtured. It's that little bonsai tree. I'm all about this (laughs) Cobra Kai stuff. It's that little bonsai tree that needs to be sniffed every single morning, shaped according to the will and providence of God. Meekness, again, Matthew Henry here. Meekness is a grace of the Spirit's working a garment of his preparing, but we must put it on. That is, we must lay our souls, mind, will, emotions, under the commanding power and influence of it. So let me remind you one more time of meekness, of Henry's definition of meekness. It is the easy and quiet submission of the soul to God's will, According as he, he is pleased to make it known, whether by his word or by his providence. Now listen, most of your problems, most of our problems, most of our issues in life stem from the fact that we are angry, upset, sad, or depressed by the word of God or the providence of God. We believe God is blocking us from something that we want, we desire, or we think we need. We might not ever say it. We might not ever shake our fist. We might just, you know, slowly get cold and distant from him and from his people. We might let our wor- the word of God, our scriptures, our Bible just lie dormant on the shelf and gather dust. We might not know why we're doing it. But deep down, we don't think his way is right or good or best for us. My life is off the rails, Lord. Right? I sang Jesus take the wheel and I don't like where you're driving me. I don't like where we're headed. I don't like where we're going. I don't like what you've brought into my life. 
That means most of the time, if you dig down into our problems in life, you're going to find at their base, at their core, the lack of meekness. This is one of the reasons, I dare say, we need a missional community. Has anyone ever repented for the failure to be meek? Probably not. But it's a biblical character trait. It's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that we should represent in the world. We should walk in the world with a weird meekness that people don't understand what we've got. We are humble to the dust, and yet we have a spine that will not back down to truth. This is one reason why we need a missional community. People can listen to us as we complain about God not giving us something that we want or taking something away from us that we really loved and wanted. And our Christian brothers and sisters can remind us of the gospel and how he has already given us everything we need for life and godliness and everything that comes into our life, even the evil and the wicked and the bad, he's going to flip the script on and use it for our good. That Jesus will never leave us or forsake us as we saw last week. He's, in, he's with us through the fire and through the flood. And so we can confess our lack of meekness and receive again grace to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. But we can trust Jesus in the midst of any loss, any pain, or any confusing situation because he because of what he's already done for us, giving up everything on the cross so that we could be forgiven and loved and adopted and brought in as citizens of his kingdom. And we can have hope because of what he has promised he will do for us. <clears throat> Christian, hear this. The meek will inherit the earth. Our hope is not just in some spiritual by and by where we're going to float around on clouds and play harps. We're going to gain 40 pounds, right? Some of us, we don't need to. You've already got the chubby cherub thing going on. That's cool, right? That's not our hope, y'all. That's not our hope. Our, oh, oh, calm down. I have a broken throat. I forgot. Our hope is that the king is going to give us the earth. That when Jesus comes back, he's going to renew all of creation and we will get to live on this earth in some new, restored, redeemed manner and the meek will inherit it. Now in our world, the powerful inherit the earth, right? The strong, the rich, they make it into office. They make it into the echelons of power. Not so in the kingdom of God. The meek get in. The poor in spirit get in. Those who mourn get in. Do you see the theme? The kingdom of God is upside down. Or let me, it's better to say it's right side up. <clears throat> so let us not lose heart, dear brothers and sisters, but let us put on then meekness. Let me pray for us. Father, I do thank you 
No other religion has the ability to really create this kind of meekness because no other religion has its head, its source, its founder as so meek as Jesus. Jesus didn't just come as a teacher. He didn't just come as a philosopher. He didn't just come as an example. Jesus came as the son of God who was utterly meek all the way down. And he gave up power and he gave up authority, he gave up strength and he submitted it to the will of God and became sin for us, became the evildoer for us, took our punishment on the cross and then gave us as a blessing of his kingdom, as a benefit of the citizen, as a citizen of God, gives us salvation, gives us the Holy Spirit, gives us the promise of the new heavens and the new earth, and gives us the promise that he will make us into meek people. Father, we just confess right now that we are not meek, but we seek to be. We confess our lack of meekness. We submit our will to yours, and we ask that you would move in and make us a meek people that we would represent you to our city, to our neighbors, to our lost friends at work. We would be strong and bold when it comes to truth. But we will be under the submission of your Holy Spirit in the way we declare that truth and the way we live that truth out. Father, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we're reminded of the words of Jesus said, when we gather together, we should do this in remembrance of him. We should take the bread and we should break it as Jesus broke it and say, this is my body that was broken for you. And we should take the cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ and we should drink it as he drank it. That this was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. That the foundation of our faith is this meekness that's willing to be broken and that's willing to shed its blood for the sake of the beloved. So we thank you for that. And I pray that as Christians confess their sins and turn from their lack of meekness this, this morning, that we would receive grace anew for our souls. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.